Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Tonight let's begin in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 22. I want to read the cross-reference in Matthew's Gospel to what we're going to read in Mark. We're studying the Gospel of Mark, but we'll look at that in a moment. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 34. Matthew 22, verse number 34. In our study of Mark, we have been looking at each, of course, each one of the records of the Gospel has different things recorded. So not everything that's in Matthew is in Mark, not everything in Mark is in Matthew and so forth, or in Luke, rather. And so we compare sometimes to get more of uh, the details. There have so far been three different groups that have come to Jesus. This is during his last week. And the Pharisees, verse 34 of Matthew 22, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. The Pharisees were one group, the Sadducees were another group, and uh, God or Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence. They were gathered together. And we don't aren't told this, but we get the inference from that that okay, let's try something else. Three different groups and Jesus silenced either one of them. Let's try something else. Instead of going as a group to Jesus, let's send an individual. And so it seems that they are the ones sending this lawyer or as Mark is going to call him, a scribe. Verse 35 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. Now see that. That's what these groups have been doing, trying to get Jesus in trouble. Tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus gave an answer, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Now we can make our way to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 12. This will be our text here for tonight, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, verse 28. Now Mark calls this man a scribe. Evidently some of the scribes were lawyers. And this man evidently was a lawyer as well as a scribe. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, so he was listening to the previous arguments, uh, trying to tempt the Lord, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment with all? Again, we don't know for sure if they actually got together. Well, how can we get him in trouble? Or if this is one individual coming on his own, it's often more effective to reach an individual than to reach a crowd when you are out witnessing and there's a group of people that you're trying to talk to about the Lord, 
they gang up together against you. But when there's an individual, sometimes it's easier. Sometimes that individual is pretty savvy at tempting the truth and, and will, you know, run you around for a long time. And so it, you know, sometimes individuals are better and sometimes uh, it's better to reach a crowd. Whatever opportunities come your way, take them. A crowd or an individual, either one. And so Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now he's taking them him back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6. What we call the great Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hearing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. So what we've been seeing here in the Gospel of Mark, and you can see it in Matthew as well, is a series of questions to tempt the Lord to get him in trouble, a last-ditch effort, so to speak, to refute the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, this scribe, this lawyer, other groups that were there trying to get him in trouble if the people, the crowds, were to actually follow the Lord. What would happen to the Pharisees and the Sadducees if the bulk of the people got saved and followed, began to follow Jesus. They'd basically be out of a job. That was one of their fears. And so they are refuting Jesus, or trying to, and no one, of course, is able to do that, because the Lord always gives them a proper answer. Well, his answer was, the greatest commandment is the law of love. My subject tonight, the servant and the greatest commandment. And we want to ask the question, what or why is the law of love a supreme law? Why is the law of love a supreme law? I want to give you three answers. Those will be the major points of the outline. Then there will be some sub-points of that. So hopefully you can follow all that and try to make it as plain as I can. The three reasons why the law of love is a supreme law, it is comprehensive, it is compelling, and it is consequential. Those will be the three major points. Why is the law of love a supreme law? It is comprehensive. Now, look at what Jesus does. His answer is, he doesn't start out like he does as is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, but in Matthew, Jesus simply says the supreme commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, soul, mind, etc., here he starts out, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's how he begins this. And the law is a, is a unified unit. That's redundant, isn't it? 
it's all one. <laughs> How do I put it? Let's look at what James says. When James is talking about keeping the law, and some people were arguing, well, I think we ought to keep this law and that law. Of course, the Pharisees and the scribes had a bunch of laws that they added to the scriptures. The commentary I have here in front of me says there's some 600 laws, and I've heard that there's some 600 laws in the Bible itself. I never even counted those. I mean, we know the Ten Commandments, but many different other laws. And But the Pharisees and the Sadducees made up additional laws. And so this man is, which one is the most important? Now you can see where he's going with this somewhat. If Jesus answers one way, then those who put more weight onto another law will say, oh, well, see, Jesus... And so they're trying to divide the crowds and say, well, Jesus says this is more important than that. And so he doesn't, of course, fall to that temptation. James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of law. Which parts of the law? Yet a lot of laws. Nobody could keep them all. The rules that uh, the Pharisees or the Sadducees would add to the law, nobody could keep those. You know, in fact, you can think about that with all of the laws that we have in our land. There are laws that you and I probably don't know about. Hopefully, we're not breaking them. But we have no occasion to know those laws. We don't deal in those particular areas, and so it's not necessary for us to know those laws. I suppose that that any, any lawyer that you would find would not really know every law that is on the books. They might know the laws dealing with the particular kinds of things that they deal with, but there's so many laws. That doesn't give us an excuse, but it's something that this scribe, this lawyer, was trying to use to tempt the Lord. And James is telling us the law is one unit. Now, of course, James is referring to the law of God, not the additional laws of man. But the law of God is all one unit. That's basically what Jesus is saying. His summary to the question, which law is the most important, is, it's all important. And I'm going to sum it up in one law, the law of love. And that law has two parts to it, loving God and loving the neighbor. And we'll see something else with that as well. But So, the law of love is a comprehensive law. If you love God, here's the point. If you love God, you will keep the other laws. You will indeed love your neighbor as yourself if you love God. So it's an all-consuming, a comprehensive law. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23 as well. There's another illustration in the life of Christ. Matthew 23 and verse number 23. Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought to have been done, and not to leave the other undone. Just a note there that there were some things that would be, of course, more important, weightier, than uh, have more consequence 
than uh, other laws. I think that's probably particularly so of uh, man-made laws, but it's true of God's law as well. So, the Pharisees, who may be prompting this lawyer, this scribe, were trying to pit Jesus against the people. And uh, the lawyer, perhaps hired by them or whatever, he of course would know the law and uh, would be the one, or one at least, to ask this question, which law has the more weight? Well, I like Jesus' answer. And it is a comprehensive answer, the law of love, just love. Love God, love your neighbor, that's going to be what it is. The law of love is a supreme law also because it is a compelling law. A compelling law. And I want to look at Jesus' answer. There's really three parts to his answer. Three parts, you could say, to the greatest commandment. The question was, what is the greatest commandment? And in Mark, Jesus is giving three parts to that. Not just the two, love God and love the neighbor, but there's a first part, a third part, which is know the Lord. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6, portions of that. The Lord, our God, is one Lord. We ought to know that. And if you're jumping ahead with my thinking here, you can't love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, body, etc. unless you know the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is. You need to know that. You can't love the Lord whom you don't know. You need to know Him. So that's going to be my first part of the answer Know the Lord. Know the Lord, love the Lord, and love thy neighbor. Those will be the three parts of this compelling law of love. Now let's look at this. Jesus answers, and he says in verse number 29, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. In the Hebrew... The word for Lord is the word for Jehovah. The word for God is the word Elohim, the name for God. It's the name for the covenant-keeping God, the God who is a God of covenant, a God of promise. The Lord, our God, and God is the Elohim, the Creator God. And so this whole phrase is putting together the promise-keeping God of the nation of Israel with the Creator God of the universe. The Lord our God is one Lord. And he goes back to the word Jehovah there. One subject. He's united. And you need to know this Lord. There is, of course, one God. Paul says that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. One God. And so you need to know this God. No, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And then he says in verse number 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God, say the Lord our God, the Lord thy God, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all the heart. So know the Lord in verse 29, love the Lord in verse number 30. And of course he tells us how to love the Lord our God. The Lord our God is a God to be loved Love is a a many-faceted thing. Love toward God, there's commitment, 
there's loyalty. When Moses uses this in Deuteronomy, and Moses also puts it into, well, God does, into the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We're to love the Lord God exclusively. So there's loyalty there. Commitment to the Lord. There's trust and respect. If we love the Lord, we're going to trust Him. We're going to respect Him. Some of these characteristics, in fact all of them, should probably be carried over into our loving the neighbor as ourselves. Trust and respect. God, of course, is the creator and the sustainer of life, and so we should love Him for that that reason. He's the Savior and Redeemer of mankind. We should love Him for that reason. He is, of course, the Lord and owner of our lives. We ought to love Him for those reasons. You need a good biblical picture of all of those things. Okay, Not a Lord who lords it over, but a Lord who loves us. A loving relationship involves giving and surrendering ourselves to the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, when Paul's talking about the loving relationship between a husband and wife, he talks about surrendering Submit yourselves one to another. So, when we love the Lord, we're submitting to His leadership. We are giving back. Love is a reciprocal thing. We love Him because He first loved us. So we love Him back. So it's giving and it's reciprocal. A loving relationship also involves knowing and knowing about the Lord. And now, if we love the Lord, we're going to share Him preach him, tell him about, what are the biblical words, evangelize the rest of the world. So when we are to love the Lord our God, and you can you know delineate all that with verse 30 there, with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind, with all the strength, other lists add the body. So that's your whole being. Heart, soul, mind, body, everything about you. Don't we have the tendency to say we love the Lord with this part of us, but not that part of us? And we have the tendency to say, well, I love the Lord. Do we really love the Lord if we don't love Him exclusively? If we don't love Him completely? I don't think so. I think God is making this comparison, and it's Old Testament and New Testament as well, by the way. It's not just something in the New Testament But Old Testament folks were to love the Lord with all the heart, soul, mind, body, and strength as well. And then he says, this is the first commandment. Not that we really have two commandments, but I would call them parts of the commandments. So we're we're saying, I'm saying there's three parts in this passage here in Mark. Know the Lord, love the Lord. The second is like to it, so it would be really the third one as I'm counting it. Love the neighbor. And it's really an outflow of the first one. So you don't do the second one, loving the neighbor, without loving God. Not really. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So the greatest commandment is the law of love. Loving God and loving the neighbor. Now, let's talk about this third part, the loving the neighbor. The Lord God, or the Lord our God, as he calls him here, demands that we love our neighbors as ourselves. 
it's not, you know, brought out by the text and all, but uh, just thinking about what love is and other places where the Bible talks about love. Love is an active experience. It's not inactive and dormant. We don't say, well, I love my neighbor. I have a feeling of love for him. If we have a feeling of love for him, it's active. You don't see the emotion of love, but you should see the outworking of that love. Jesus taught us that the world would know that we are that we belong to Christ because they'll see our love for one another. Well, they can't see the emotion, but they see the things that we do and say for one another. So loving the neighbor is active, and it ought to be, outbreak of that should be visible. What God wants from us, now let me, let me say this, just because we show the love in doing things. Jesus didn't say the second commandment is to do things for your neighbor. People think, well, if I do things for my neighbor, I'm loving my neighbor. Not necessarily. It's not the doing of things, either spiritually or otherwise, doing of things. It's the actual loving of them that we need to... That's the fulfillment of the command, not the doing of things. Am I making myself confused? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of us, that, a lot of people that do things and, and really don't have love. But how do you measure that love? We can't measure it except by the things that we do. How do we see another person's love? We see it by the things that they do. But the doing of those things may be an expression of simply doing things and not really love. So we need to fulfill the command of actually loving the neighbor. And when we do love the neighbor, we will do some things for him. When Jesus taught this in the uh, Gospel of John, and in and John uh, the Apostle records it in 1 John, let me quote two passages of Scripture, John 13 Verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's John 13, verses 34 to 35. In the epistle of John, 1 John 4, verses 20 through 21, John records, If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. If you love me, love your neighbor. And so we turn that around. You can't really love your neighbor until you love God. So the commandment to love God flows downward to loving the neighbor. So when Jesus says the first commandment is to love the Lord, the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor. It's like unto it because it flows from loving God. Now the world and hopefully we don't do this as Christians, but the world wants to love the neighbor without loving God. And that's their big thought. In a way, they are trying to fulfill the greatest command by saying, not that you love the Lord, but you ought to love your neighbor. Well, my question is, why should you love your neighbor if you don't love God? Well, just because we ought to all be, you know, philanthropically in love with one another. Loving the brother. But why? 
That's my philosophical question about that. Why? Why if there's no love for God? If there's no God, why love our neighbor? We are taught, like in Romans 5.8, that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Our tendency is to love the neighbor who is lovable. We ought to love the neighbor who is not lovable, like God loved us when we were not lovable, when that while we were yet sinners. Now he also says, back in our text, verse number 31, the second is like unto it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor, what the next two words? As thyself. So, we ought to have self-love. We ought to love ourselves. In fact, the Bible tells us no man ever yet hated himself. We all have a good portion of self-love. So we ought to love the neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, of course, I think there's a corrupt love of self. And that's, you know, the one that wants to bring attention to ourselves. We all have a good dose of that, too. That wants to thrust ourselves forward. That wants to insist on our own way. You know, we all have that tendency to believe our way is right. And then, of course, to demand recognition for that way for the accomplishments that we do. This all, you know, nice and good, but it's all part of our sinful, deceitful, conceited nature as well. But there is a godly love. That's really, uh, it's not natural to us as sinners, but should be a part of our character as a Christian. A love that's stirred by the love of God. One that's really a part of God's creation in us and a highest part of that creation that actually has a God as its object. So the Christian ought to love his neighbor much better than the person who is not saved. A supreme love that's possible through God and in Christ. And we are, of course, as Christians, trustees of God's gifts, and one of his gifts is the gift of love. So godly love. It should be manifest in us. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We love ourselves, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's a command. It's not an option. It's something we need to obey. God is not pleased when we stand guilty of breaking the law of God. The law of God summarized in loving God and loving the neighbor. So when we hate the brother or hate the neighbor, we're breaking the law, the law of God. And so we need to love the Lord. Thirdly, the law of love is supreme because it is consequential. It is supreme because it is comprehensive. It is supreme because it is compelling. We're compelled to love the Lord, our God, and our neighbor as ourselves. And it is consequential. It has consequences to it. Let's look at what the scribe, the lawyer, answered here. Jesus summarized in verse 31, There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This man is agreeing with the Lord. We've been looking at reaching the next generation for Christ. You know how to do it? 
love thy neighbor as thyself. That's one of the things we're getting as we're researching this and trying to get some answers to this question as to how to reach the next generation for the Lord. When we fail to love God, when we fail to love our neighbor, there are grave consequences that are paid. He says, this young man says, that these laws are more than all the whole burnt sacrifices and offerings. You and I are not so big on the offerings. I mean, we do take a monetary offering, but we don't have sacrificial type offerings or whatever, of a lamb or a turtle dove or something like that. This man is living in a day when the offerings were still in vogue and the sacrifices, and he says this is more important than the burnt offerings. That's true. They are. David said that in Psalm 51. What you deserve more than the sacrifices is a broken and a contrite spirit, loving the Lord with all the heart. What is your reaction? What is my reaction to the greatest commandment? The servant and the greatest commandment. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.